Hi, my name is Luca Kawabata, and welcome to Noteworthy. Dana Fradkin is a true industry multitasker. Actor, acrobat, personal trainer, writer, producer, director, and soon-to-be West Coast resident, she's worked with some of the biggest companies that this country has to offer, including Opera on the Avalon, Against the Grain Theatre, and the Canadian Opera Company. A member of the Yolanda M. Ferris Young Artist Program for Vancouver Opera's 2020-2021 digital season, we are elated to have Dana joining us here today. So I know that you're, you are now Toronto-based, but where does Dana's story start? I was born and raised in Ottawa. I went to a high school performing arts there called Canterbury. Then when I got into George Brown Theatre School at 19, I moved to Toronto. So I've now been in Toronto for a good long time. Was your high school experience among like the first performing arts exposure that you had, or was that sort of part of your everyday life growing up? It's a great question. Um, I sort of fell into acting sideways. Well, I guess I was a dancer initially, in, you know, when I was a kid. And then we moved neighborhoods in grade seven. And I started with this new school in Nepean, Ontario, Nepean, Ottawa. And um, everyone was really mean to me. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> I had a really awful year. And uh, I got straight D's and it was grade seven. And I had this realization even then that I was like, oh, my God, I can't go to high school with these people. They're so mean. And so I started being like, okay, well, where else can I go to high school? And this is the end of grade seven, you know, and the, and the, the school was a grade seven, eight. So I had a whole other year. And, you know, my mom and I were searching around and I'm Jewish. So a Catholic school was off the table. So the only sort of other option was this high school performing arts that someone on my street had told me about. I didn't really want to go for dance and I didn't know anything about drama. I think I actually had a D in drama in grade seven, but, um, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to become an actor. <laughs> so I don't have to go to high school with these people. So I like dove into it in grade eight and like got really into acting and auditioned and got in. And the strange thing was like, of course, as soon as I stopped caring in grade eight and decided that I was going to leave everyone, I became popular and everyone became my friend. You know, it's like always the way it is. I was going to say, it's funny how that always happens. <laughs> always. I know. And then I liked them and I was like, oh, I'm leaving them. But, uh, I'm really glad I did still. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your family was very supportive always. Do you come from an artistic family? Kind of. Yeah. Well, my mother's a murder mystery novelist. Amazing. Yeah. She's got a new book coming out. Um, She's won a couple Arthur Ellis Awards, which is the Canadian Murder Mystery Awards. So she was a child psychologist was when I was growing up, and she was writing novels on the side. And she got her first book published about 20 years ago, then retired and now is a full mystery writer. My dad was a lawyer, but was a painter on the side. So everyone kind of did arts, at least on the side. And my mother finally retired and just became a novelist. But I was sort of the first one to really go, you know what, I'm going to make this my sole profession. And it seems looking at your body of work that you wear a lot of hats and you lean into that diverse skill set that you have. Growing up in a performing arts environment and then going to university for it? How does that lend itself to what you do today in your work? In theater school, because I went to a classical theater school and uh, classical theater was never my greatest strength, you know, like I would fall behind in that class. So it was interesting when we started doing physical theater at George Brown, you know, like Commedia dell'arte and mask and clown and slapstick. And all of a sudden, 
I had found this niche that uh, not a lot of other people in my class could do. And all of a sudden I was the star of this one weird art form, like Commedia dell'arte. And it was like, oh, look at Dana. And um, I'd already felt that at Canterbury and then at George Brown. And it's sort of this idea of physical theater and storytelling through through the body and movement all sort of blended into a lot of what I do today, no matter the medium or the genre. And so it's been a really interesting journey to find that niche and to see where I can that niche can take me. Going into the industry as a performer and focusing on that, how has that affected your work as you've transitioned to more of a directorial role? I really understand the visual of bodies on a stage. I've always been a much more movement and visual and body than audio and um, text, which is why opera is a very good thing for me to direct. I, I, I much prefer directing opera than I do straight theater, even though I love performing in straight theater, because I think I have such a good understanding of storytelling and bodies on stage and how we all connect through that medium and opposed to just text and dialogue and voice. I think for me with opera, there are so many more um, avenues of communication that are accessible. Mm-hmm. You, know? you It's with the the same avenues as theater, but more added on. I'm obviously coming up from it from a certain point of view, but it gives you ways to explore character, more cues mm-hmm. that are, are being given to you from the, the librettist, from the, the conductor, from the from the composer, of course. And um, it's more of a collaborative experience in general. I'm curious to hear about more about your Dora Award-winning theater company that you founded, Keystone Theater. Uh, can you share some more of the company's story as uh, you've been such an integral part of its inception? Yeah, um, absolutely. I started with it, um, I did Comedy of Errors in 2003, like we're going way back. And we did an intro where I played Charlie Chaplin. And I fell in love with theater in the style of a silent film. Again, a very you know, no words and and telling your full story through your body and through slapstick and comedy. So me and the director on that, because he loved directing me and I connected so well with this idea of being Charlie Chaplin that we decided to create a theater company based on the idea of theater in the style of a silent film. So we would basically recreate the silent film experience with dialogue boxes and feeling like you're almost watching it in a TV, but the bodies are live and the, and the humor is live. And they're sharing their story with the audience as if the audience is the camera. Like in silent film, they sometimes look directly down the barrel of a camera. And so we were playing with sort of this idea and it was um, really exciting because it sort of came as an idea that Richard Bone and I, and then his wife came on board, Kim Bone. And then we brought a couple great physical theater artists from uh, the city involved. And we started creating and we just, we made all our characters from Laban. Uh, it's sort of a, body language of a dancer and creating characters through different movement bases like fast and slow and uh, light and heavy and creating different type of characters on the way they walk and the, and the way they tell their story. So we started to, we would do all these techniques and then we would create these different characters. Then we would create scenarios and then we would want to start to tell stories about Canadian history from that time period, from the turn of the last century so our first show was called Bella Winnipeg, and it was about the building of the Canadian Railroad back in 
back in um, the early 1900s. We didn't really know what we were doing. We made an equity co-op. It was 2009. We created it all from little vignettes and made a full play with it and put it up. And it was really successful. And it was nominated for three Doras and one one for sound composition. And, um, and then we made two more one-act shows. So we never did something of that large scale again because it's, it was always very hard to get funding. And so we toured the fringe twice across the country you know, a lot of fundraising, a lot of our own money. I think that's a part of the arts that people often don't see behind. There's like a, a veneer of like a glossy veneer where the elegance of performance kind of comes and people don't realize how many people are involved and how much work it goes to just to get to day one of rehearsal. How did you find yourself in working in opera and especially directing in opera? <laughs> also sideways. I feel like all the big moves that have happened in my life have come through the strangest ways. In 2009, I auditioned to be a clown in La Boheme at Canadian Opera Company and uh, booked it. I don't know how I booked it because they were looking for like acrobat type clowns. And I'm a good acrobat, but I'm not, I, you know, COC has hired some like true acrobats, you know, I can do really amazing Cirque du Soleil style stuff. So I did this show. It was amazing. And I uh, met Joel Ivany there because he was the assistant director on that show. And I really liked him. He worked with us mainly instead of the director, me and the other clown. And I don't know, we kind of became friends. And, and then I got asked to do another show at Canadian Opera Company as an acrobat, Die Valkyrie, with Adam Agoyan. And I was so excited to go back because I think I became sort of obsessed with the music because I'd never seen opera before. I didn't know anything about it. I'm not a good singer. But I like after La Boheme, I listened to the Boheme soundtrack for like months. And then after Valkyrie, I listened to Wagner, like all of Wagner for months on end. And then, you know, you start, you're in your 30s and you start wanting to go, okay, well, what else can I do? And there was a Theater Ontario grant to do a job other than your original discipline, to choose another discipline other than performance and choose a mentor that you wanted to work with. And I did, and I still think that Joel Ivany is doing some of the most interesting work in opera. And uh, I really like his mind as an artist. So I had reached out to him and asked him if he'd be interested in mentoring me as either an assistant choreographer, assistant director, or movement coach, you know, just sort of come in as an assistant. So we applied for the grant and we got it. So I assisted him on ATG Messiah. Um, then he brought me into Canadian Children's Opera Company and Glenn Gould School. And then Laurier followed. And it's just, um, just incredible that this work was available for me and, and, and how quickly and how, I don't know, the opera community is beautiful and, and people are interested and they were interested in what I had to say. And I found myself in love with the music and, um, I'm really excited to get back to it, actually, because I had, you know, we, we were supposed to be working in October, and then I had Powder Her Face that I was supposed to be doing last May, June, and obviously both were canceled. So I haven't worked in opera for about, yeah, a year. So I really miss it. So I'm very excited to get back to it. Do you find there's a major difference in directing opera compared to straight theater or film? Um, I think there can be, but it can also be quite similar. 
Um, the other day I was talking about like the different type of directors with a friend, whether it's um, what they call like an actor's director, when really the director is all about the actor's performance. And you hear about like, you know, when people win Oscars and they're like, oh, they're really a director. And that's when the director really zones in and bringing out the most incredible performance in its actors. And and I feel like you can do that in straight theater. I think that happens a lot in straight theater. Um, you can do that in film and you can do that in opera. And then there's the other directors that are more larger picture come in believing that the artist is going to do their work and bring their own vision to the role. Obviously they'll help tweak it because you know, they're the director, but that it's more about the overall picture and the blending of everything and mixing them. So in that way you could be either of those directors. And I think you could work in film theater and opera and be either of those different type of directors. But I do think because opera is a larger scale often than straight theater, and it's not as much about the text, like in theater, the director really needs to focus on the text and, and what you're saying and every um, every line has to have a purpose behind it. The opera director needs to do that too, but the opera director is helped by the music director who can really work the voice and the um, the singing and what they want out of their out of their musical instrument while I can work on the overall vision, the comedy or the story, the drama, bring out the expression in the body. I think that opera is a more stylized medium than straight theater, which is often very natural. So you have to stick really close to realism while I like opera because it's fun to heighten it and to take it to larger extremes, whether it's slapstick, comedy, melodrama, that you have um, the ability to do this. So the imagination can get a bit more wild. And I feel like with film, you can do that as well. The performances need to stay real, but you have you can play a lot more with visuals and storytelling outside of just the text. While I feel like theater is truly based on the text between each other and the dialogue between each other. So we are about to embark on a journey together as part of the Young Artist Program in Vancouver Opera. I am very interested from your perspective working in theater, in film, um, and as the the resident director uh, amongst the young artists, our unique sort of circumstance in being in an opera program that will be available to the majority of the audience on film. I I would imagine because you have um, some experience in film, it those sort of learning curves don't seem as daunting as it would be for someone like me and maybe the other performers, for example. I'm interested to see your thoughts on how this process is going to sort of um, take flight. Well, I'm excited and uh, like, I'm excited by this new idea. And there's part of me that's disappointed by the fact that it's not, it's not going to be as live and what, what it was originally going to be. But there's also a part of me that's really, excited about what we're doing, especially with the music shop. Mm -hmm. I was very excited. I really love directing for the stage, opera directing for the stage, especially slapstick, like something with music, like music shop, which is so comedy based and so fun. The idea of being able to put that together on a stage seems exhilarating to me. And I, because I've assisted directed so much, I haven't had a lot of opportunities of, of really coming out with my own vision, but also one of the new creations that I'm really looking at and I've been thinking about for about a year now 
is the idea of opera and film, which I don't think there's enough of. You know, musical theater has really become part of uh, film. There's tons of musicals. There's very few operas. You know, there's, yeah, Kenneth Branagh's Magic Flute, and there's a Bohème, and there's the Peter Brook's Carmen, which is the Carmen we're doing that I watched. But in general, it's not really an art form that has made it to film. So because they're my two favorite mediums, I'm really excited about the idea of trying to blend them. So that's a really exciting challenge to me to take the music shop and to take it slapstick and then play around with what I know about cinema and wanting to bring opera to the cinema, basically, and seeing you guys are my guinea pigs to see if we can do it. Because I mean, I haven't been able to talk to any of the videographers yet or anything. So I'm not quite sure, but I want it to have a cinematic experience. There's so many more options to that where you can get into the subtle emotions of the characters or bring out the comedy with that as well. Yeah, completely. And, And use the camera angles and use what the camera can do to the advantage of the opera. It's going to be really interesting because this is a big project that I I want to work on moving forward, which is the idea of bringing a new topical opera idea to a cinematic experience. So obviously COVID-19 has turned the entire industry on its head. I've been having uh, the door open to have some amazing conversations about the new possibilities of opera, which I believe these conversations might not have been had under normal circumstances. How has the pandemic affected your view on sort of the direction of the industry? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, th- I think I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm sad to not be able to hear it live because I think that's something that makes it very special. And even no matter how we pivot, being able to hear it through your computer screen or on a recording is never quite the same thing as hearing it live. So, you know, when we're all vaccinated and we come back, I hope we never lose that bridging the idea of, of cinema and opera, which I felt, I felt like opera uses movie and cinema as part of its backdrop, but cinema rarely grabs from opera but the idea behind it, this concept, this like bringing of artists from elsewhere and this idea of like, let's tell the story in a different way and let's use um, movie storytelling to do it. I think that's really exciting. I think it's really exciting to see people thinking outside of the box because opera will always come back to its traditional form, but I think it has opened new doors. You know, on Halloween night, I don't know if you know Sasha Smith, she's a U of T student, opera student. And we had this huge performance in the park across the street from my house where she sang and, you know, people were like drawn to this opera in the park. And, you know, it was just, it's, it's exciting in a way, right? That we're finding different ways to tell our stories and to share our craft. What I loved about the Um, against Green's Messiah was that it had this collectivism of Canadian identity almost, which I've never seen associated with Messiah. It felt so special and so intimate at the same time as it was across the entire country and uh, so much diversity. And it really gave you that up close look at the performers as well, which I really loved. 
Yeah. And um, I haven't been able to talk to Joel enough to know, because I know that there was like a videographer and sometimes a film director with each city. And I wish I'd sort of stayed for the talk back actually to ask this question. But, you know, how much was the film director, how much was the artist saying, hey, I want to do it this way. I'm interested in taking this song and doing it with this idea behind it. Because that's one of the things that also working in schools, I have found that often, and when I'm working with you guys, you'll notice that this is something I'm very passionate about, is that I really like young artists to find their own voices, to not look to the director or the music director for their entire performance. That it's like, you have this, if you can sing like that, you are an artist, you have it in you. So let's let's bring out what you want to say with this character and with this story. And it's like, okay, what do I want to do with this? What part of Canada do I want to show? I, I, I like that Joel kind of gave, I have a feeling he probably gave each artist a certain amount of creative freedom, which I think is always very exciting. I think that with a lot of young artists, especially leaving school and having that sort of like transition to finding their voice as, as an artist, don't realize the skills that they have acquired and what what is at their disposal. It was interesting because I was in a, a pedagogy class uh, years ago um, and I was told by someone who came to speak who said, even though you think that you're not a teacher, you have so much knowledge that you have been acquiring that now you can pass on to other people. You can, you always can. And I think when I was talking about the two different type of directors, I think I really am one that that goes, okay, here's my overall vision. Let's have you bring out what you do. You bring out what you do, you you know, and then we will work all together to make us all the stronger. You know, I'll, I'll help when, when you need guidance, but I really want to see you shine. And I've definitely felt it at Laurier. I've felt it at Glenn Gould. I felt it at Banff where I've just seen these artists explode because they've had the ability to do so. And I think that that's really exciting. So what are the next steps for you personally? Where do you see your ideal career taking off from here? It's a great question. Well, the next five months, I'll be in Vancouver Opera. And then, you know, Powder Her Face is supposed to happen again. Like I said, one of my major goals, other than traveling around and directing, which is one of my dreams, traveling around and directing opera while making a feature film and web series at the same time. I kind of wanted to blend those two worlds. But one of my big creative goals is to bring uh, a full opera to the cinema. And so that's sort of maybe a five-year goal. A five, that's a five-year goal to get funding to create something like that. So right, right now I have a web series that I've written with a friend who I'm hoping, which I'm hoping to film next summer. So that's sort of the first thing. And then the larger picture is um, full-scale opera for the cinema. Well, tell me where I can get a ticket and I'll be there. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It was so nice to, to catch up from the last time we talked and to get to know each other a little bit better. Thank you, Luca, for guest hosting this incredible conversation and introducing the Noteworthy family to a new friend. And thank you, Dana, for joining us. We look forward to touching base with you later on in the year as the year unfolds and seeing how things are going for you. As always, thank you to Duncan Watts Grant for editing and producing the show with me. If you are one of our listeners, remember to subscribe, like, and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you know of friends and family who might not be artists, but might enjoy Noteworthy, please share it with them. 
And as always, thank you for listening.